Okay, we are cleared for takeoff, so we're going to go ahead and start our lesson for the L. Nelson Bell class, and we invite everyone that would like to uh, come forward and sit with us. If you need to carry on your conversation, please feel free to do that out in the hallway uh, while we get started. We are in the book of 2 Samuel, and we're still in chapter 6. We looked at that last week in terms of Uzzah and the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, and what is involved when we have good intentions, but we're disobeying what God says is the right thing to do. Today we're taking up a very different tact from a different part of this chapter, and I have to admit, I have really enjoyed preparing this lesson. Some lessons are just more fun than others in terms of what you have to say from the Word, and uh, this one uh, has just been a surprise, and it's been uh, fun for me to prepare as we look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, and our topic is making merry before the Lord. Before we get into that, though, let's come and ask the Lord for his guidance as we turn to his word. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you've not left us alone, but that you are with us in a much more significant and important way than when you walked on this earth. For we have your spirit constantly with us, within us, to guide us, to help us understand, to comfort us, to lead us in your way. We pray now that your spirit will indeed lead us in not only understanding the truth that is in this passage, but in applying it to our own lives. Help us, Lord, to put aside other thoughts and concerns that easily come to mind, and that for this time together we will focus on your word and what you have to say to us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. 
And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will make merry before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abused in your eyes, abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. A very interesting passage. As we begin this, I want to remind us of the power of the Ark of the Covenant. We've talked about this in subsequent lessons, I mean in previous lessons, but just remember that this is an Ark that was constructed and it was used in the, the holy and solemn worship of God and it was a symbol that God was among his people. And we've seen how it had been captured by the Philistines in battle where it never should have been taken. It was brought back to Israel by the Philistines and their 20 men were very curious to see what was in it. So they bent over to look and all 20 of them were killed outright. Well, that put an end to anybody's curiosity and they left it there for about 20 years. And then last week we saw David wanted to bring this ark back into Jerusalem. And so as it was being brought on a cart, Uzzah reached out to steady it, and he was killed. And again, everybody was dumbfounded to the power of this, and they stopped where they were at the house of Obed-Edom and left the ark there. It was an, an object, but obviously God was very intimately involved in that object and who approached it and how it was treated by other people. Now, Obed-Edom apparently was uh, of Gittai. It seems that it may have been a Philistine city, that he was a Philistine living in Israel. Uh, I would think, though it's not said here, that he had converted to Judaism because as the ark was left with him, we find that he and his whole household were blessed by God. Now, the ark was something that could be used that would end up killing those who misused it or it could be a source of blessing for those who honored it and revered it. And at Obed-Edom's house, it stayed for three months after the death of Uzzah. And we're told in scripture that his house prospered because the Lord had blessed him. Now, three months is a pretty short period of time to find out that you've been blessed by God. A lot of things come to mind. I'm thinking, okay, his wife, after three months, began to realize that she was pregnant. All of his flocks were beginning to multiply and they were pregnant with future flocks that were termed as money in those days. The crops he had planted apparently had a burst of growth that put out a huge amount of grain. Uh, there are other ways business deals may have gone incredibly in his way, but in a short span of three months, it was obvious to everyone that Obed-Edom had been blessed and it started the day the ark was left with him. So David decides, okay, maybe it's time to bring this back into Israel again, into Jerusalem where it belongs, the center, the heart of God's people. So he gathers together all the people again, and he is obviously instructed the priests, no carts, folks, use poles. And we're told they bore the ark. It means it was on their shoulders. They bore the ark into Jerusalem, and it was placed in its proper place. 
Now, these people are celebrating God's presence coming into their midst. And David is at the head of the procession. And as he did in the prior time before Uzzah reached out and was killed, David is leading the procession. And we are told he is leaping, he is shouting, he is singing, he is celebrating not only with his voice, but with his whole body. And everybody else is doing the same thing and rejoicing that this symbol of God's presence was coming to them in their city, leaping and shouting and singing for joy. But as I think you probably realize, not everybody joined in that. And Michael, David's wife, and I'm not going to go into the time this morning to review her life, but it's a checkered past. She's Saul's daughter. Uh, at times she's been faithful to David. Other times she has lied to save her own skin. She is part of his household now, once again restored after she'd been given to somebody else by Saul, and Saul died. David demanded she be given back to him. She's in the household. She's looking out at this procession from the window, and she despises David. She thinks, well, this is just not kingly. This is not appropriate for a king to do. Now, it says that he was uncovered. Folks, he was not without clothing. It just meant his outer coat was off, and the undergarment was there, a long white robe underneath. But he was dancing and singing and celebrating Michael thought it was very undignified, and she in no terms uh, let that uh, be clear, uh, in, in unclear terms, that she approved, did not approve of that. So David responds to this biting sarcasm of Michael, and he says, don't forget, it was your father who was put down by God, and I was lifted up. I am king, and your father's house is not. And if you think this is bad, I'm going to continue to grow in my popularity with these people because I'm going to rule them righteously and justly under God. And then that last closing sentence, which is one of the most chilling, I think, as we go through the Old Testament, simply at the end of the chapter, verse 23, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now, David had other wives. And this one obviously was not going to be with him for the rest of her life. She was put off. I doubt she was even allowed into the court. She paid the price. It was her choice not to honor David in this wonderful celebration, but it cost her dearly in terms of her future life and certainly no descendants through her to that family. Again, as I kept reading this chapter two weeks ago, and I was developing the lesson on Uzzah, I realized, you know, this has got, this needs special treatment. This business of dancing and singing and shouting as the ark comes in to Jerusalem, what is that all about? Well, I think it is clear there is a time and there is a place to celebrate what God has done for his people. And David was leading in this celebration. It was outdoors. It was as they approached coming into Jerusalem, and it was an intense celebration. I'm sure there were instruments playing as well, and the whole multitude, thousands and thousands of people, are joining in, possibly singing songs they all knew that they had been raised with in praise of God. There is a time and a place to make merry before the Lord. 
And for us as Christians, today is that day. We're going to talk a little bit about that. The ark is now gone historically. As far as we know, it disappeared sometime before the Romans conquered Jerusalem. And if it had been there, there's no mention of it, but had been, it would have been captured or destroyed then. Now, there are lots of rumors and lots of speculation about what happened to it. But as far as we're concerned in the 21st century, the Ark of the Covenant does not physically exist any longer. It's certainly not available. It's not a symbol for anybody else in a tangible way. But instead of that, the cross of Jesus Christ is the symbol and the mark that God is with his people because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross in redemption of all those who believe in him. In Jesus Christ, God is with his people. We don't have to look for a particular place. We don't have to have a particular physical object to assure us that God is among us. We have the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it is represented by the cross, but we do not worship the cross. We honor it, but it simply points to a greater fact of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God is with his people, and that is something to celebrate. We have known it for so long. And for 2,000 years, it's been the heritage in Western Europe and the United States and other countries around the world, different times in different countries. But it is a statement of fact that Christ is with his people, not visibly, but as I said in the opening prayer, by his Holy Spirit, by his guidance as we read his word and his spirit helps us interpret that and apply it into our lives. We have something to celebrate. And of course, this reminded me, David's entry into Jerusalem reminded me of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Christ, God, coming in among his people, dwelling in the midst of his people. They didn't know it. We know who he was at that time, and it was something to be celebrated. And they thought he was going to be their king forever, a political, military ruler, and they were beside themselves in joy. You go back and read those passages, Matthew 21 and Luke 19, and you realize that in that triumphal entry, it was a big commotion. It was a big celebration. Again, there were thousands of people in Jerusalem. Jesus is on the back of a donkey, the symbol of a king coming into his kingdom, and everybody is they're, they're taking off their clothes and throwing them down on the ground. They're taking palm branches down. They're singing. They're dancing. They're waving. They're shouting, Hosanna, praise to God coming among us, just as was happening with David bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. Worship is a joyful event. We, the church, are the dwelling place of God, I want to make sure you understand this, as Paul tells us, in two particular places. There are many others. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. For through Jesus Christ, we are both Jew and Gentile. We have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God is dwelling within us. And then later in that same book, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are the dwelling place of God. The ark has come in among its people. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come in and is among us within our hearts individually and corporately as we gather in the name of Jesus Christ. It is something to celebrate. And of all people in this world, no matter how bad the news is outside, we should be celebrating because we know God is in control we are his adopted children. In him we are secure, and we need to praise him in gratitude for what he has done for us. Worship is to be a joyful event. Worship is something to be looked forward to. And this is what hit me. As we continue to come to church week after week, year after year, there can be a tendency in our own hearts to say, oh, it's Sunday again. Yes, I'm going to keep the day and, and I'll be there at church, but I've got these other things on my mind, other things that need to be done. I've got to keep them in mind as, as I come into this building, partake and be a part of the worship and then get back home. But we're not really fully centered on why we are here and what it means to be the people of God. And that's what I hope to emphasize and refresh this morning when we come to worship it should be with a huge sense of expectancy. What will God say to me? How can I offer up myself in praise and adoration of him, fully engaged, not thinking about anything else, but fully engaged in lifting up Jesus Christ, praising him and thanking God and his spirit for what he has done in our lives. It's a joyful event and it should be looked forward to. Now, it is to be exuberant, but also done decently and in order. And we have heard that over and over. I want to make sure you know it really is a scriptural passage from Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 40. And in that situation, the worship service was getting out of control. There were people who say, I have a word from God. I have a word from God. Let's sing this song. And it was just cacophony. There was no direction or, or uh, order about it. So Paul says, look, we, we've got to get this Tone down a bit, folks. You can't be shouting over each other. You can't be jumping up and somebody else jumping up. Do this decently in order, but still be praising God. It can be done wholeheartedly and with an open mind and a joyful spirit and still be orderly. Thinking of others being in the worship with us as we celebrate in our own hearts and minds what Christ has done for us. In our worship, it can also be a joyful and solemn time at the same time. And to me, this particularly comes out as we observe the sacraments, as we're obviously going to be doing today, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to remember 
what Christ did for us. And in some mysterious way that we cannot fully understand, though the chemical processes of these elements are the same, a spiritual process happens within us as we partake of these elements and solemnly realize what it costs God to bring us salvation. And we can be joyful at the same time as having reverence and solemnity, understanding he is within us and we are his dwelling place. Now, there are going to be people who will look at us and make fun of us because we're dressed up and we've got our Bibles and we're going to church. They love to shoot arrows at us. They love to mock us. They love to pretend they know what we're about when they haven't got a clue. Just as Michael made fun of David and seemingly did not have a clue as to why he was making such a big deal out of bringing the ark in. You know what to do. Just leave them alone. You don't have to be friends with them. You don't have to apologize to them. Certainly you should not amend your behavior or your attitude because of that criticism. You just leave them alone. Okay, you go your way. You celebrate what you want to celebrate. I'm going to worship to celebrate being a dwelling place of God. I'm going to give praise and honor to him. Just leave him alone. What I hope to do is by using this passage, this image of David shouting and singing and dancing before the Lord as a reminder that we are to look forward to this in such a way that you couldn't keep us away. We eagerly look forward to the time that we can be together and worship Jesus Christ and praise God together. Now, I'm going to go even so far. As Presbyterians, we're not known for our exuberance at times. Other groups probably come to mind about that. But I think really as I look at this, as I look at the New Testament teaching, there is a time and a place perhaps even for us to dance together as a church. Maybe not in this building, probably outdoors somewhere. But think about it. Walter Trobisch was a wonderful Swiss psychiatrist of a generation past, and he did a lot of counseling and guidance for people. He lived in Switzerland. And one of the first things he did as he was beginning to share the gospel and talk about the gospel with them was to say, now let's dance. Well, they were wooden-footed and embarrassed and didn't know what to do at first, but there is something about engaging our full body in what we're doing in praise of God that is unique. And I kind of think I'd like to give that a try at some time. We might have to let the music department know, not during the worship service on Sunday morning, but perhaps at another time and place, we can actually sing and dance before the Lord, praising him for what he has done. Nothing inappropriate, but certainly beyond just sitting quietly in our own little spot and not doing anything else as a corporate body, other than maybe the elements or some songs. There's a time and a place for all of this, and we should be very excited to say, Emmanuel, we've just come out of the Advent season, the Christmas tide we're in. God is with us, Emmanuel. God is with us. The ark is among his people, and it is Jesus Christ, and we have something to celebrate. Now, what possible hymn could there be that would describe this? Well, again, 
This is a very pleasant surprise. This is one I grew up with in a very formal, in a very dignified, and very orderly way. But think about it in terms of what we've talked about coming from 2 Samuel 6. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O my soul, praise him, for he is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to his temple draw near, join me in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord, who are all things so wondrously reigneth. Shelters thee under his wings, yea, so gently sustaineth. Hast thou not seen how thy desires e'er have been granted in what he ordaineth? Praise to the Lord, who doth prosper thy work and defend thee. Surely his goodness and mercy here daily attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do, if with his love he befriend thee. Praise to the Lord. O let all that is in me adore him. All that have life and breath come now with praise before him. Let the amen sound from his people again. Gladly for I, we adore him. This is the time to say amen, all right? One, two, three, amen. I think the Lord heard that. Let's come to him in prayer. Lord, there's always something more for us to either relearn or to learn for the first time. And how we thank you that your word will not let us go until we are confronted with your truth. Father, please grant that within each of us, we will have a renewed spirit and attitude toward corporate worship before you. And that when we sing, we sing with all our heart. And when we pray, we are not distracted by other thoughts. And when we hear your word, we are drinking it in, allowing it to go deep into our souls and to change us and to guide us in your ways. Lord, grant that we will be a people who are known for our joy in life, regardless of outward circumstances. Knowing that we are secure in you, whether we physically prosper or not, we will praise you. Even if the harvest doesn't come, we will still praise you, for you are God, our Father, our Redeemer, and we will celebrate that till the day we die or until you come again. Thank you, Lord God. We will make merry before you in our hearts and minds and souls and bodies. In Christ's name, amen.